Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. The New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter and chapter number 1. If you're looking for 1 Peter, it's towards the end of the Bible. You could start backwards and go to Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter. And you find yourself in the book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. Now our theme this year is the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I believe that God had picked this out for us for this time, for such a time as this, because we need to be reminded that God is our joy. God is our peace. And what we're doing is we're in between series uh, messages is that we want to take some time to teach us what does it mean that the joy of the Lord is our strength? What does it mean to trust in Jesus in uncertain times? What does that mean? It sounds good, but what does it mean? How does it apply to me? How do I get a hold of that? And so we find our way to the book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. 1 Peter and chapter number 1. Now, let me give you the context of what is going on in the book of 1 Peter. In the book of 1 Peter, um, Peter is writing. He's at the last few years of his life. And he's already sensing and already understanding that right around the corner, there is going to be a great storm of persecution upon the Christian world. At this time, Nero is the Caesar of the Roman Empire. He's in charge. In fact, the Apostle Paul has already been arrested and has already spent a stint in jail in Rome. He stood before Nero and he was released but in a very short time, Paul is going to be arrested once again, and he is going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Just around the horizon, just right there, Nero is going to uh, go crazy. He's already going crazy. He's already releasing his fetters and his governors. He's already releasing those safety things that kept him from being publicly crazy. He's already tried to kill his mother three times. He's already tried to, uh, uh, already committing several murders. His uh, Praetorian guard who kept him in check is now passed. His his, uh, his teacher who taught him how to live life is gone and he's now without any restraints. Very shortly after the writing of this book, Nero is going to burn down the city of Rome just for the fun of it. And he always imagined himself as a great conductor, a great director. And so as Rome burnt, he imagined it as a big backdrop of a play. And he could imagine all the little characters in the midst of it. That's where an old time saying came that as Rome burned, Nero fiddled. Nero fiddled as Rome burned. It carried the idea that as Rome is burning, he's just having this big backdrop. Well, after he burns down Rome, well, he doesn't want to get in trouble for it. And so he picks a group of people that everyone already hates. 
the Christians. At this time, the Christians have already been ostracized. The Christians don't have a home country, so it's easy to declare war on them because no country will declare war on them back. At this time, people have had a misunderstanding of Christians because Christianity has begun to spread throughout the slaves. Remember at this time in Rome, 75% of the... Um, 75% of the population are slaves. And Christianity is spreading across the slaves. And it's giving the slaves hope that they didn't have before. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope that there's something better. And the people aren't necessarily liking this. At this time, Christians have been viewed in ways and rumors are going around that Christians, they're cannibals. After all, they eat the body of their leaders. Oh, and by the way, Christians, they're vampires because they drink blood. And these rumors are going around and people are misunderstanding Christians. And already before Nero does anything, the Christians are already at the place where people are looking at them suspiciously. They're already at the place where they already hate Christians, don't like their message, don't like what they have to say, don't like what they represent, because to be a Christian means that you can't serve the Roman gods. And part of Roman tradition is that they serve gods all the time. Even there was a time where you worship the Roman emperor himself. And so all of Christianity flew against the culture of the time. And when Nero burns down Rome, he's going to turn around and he's going to blame the Christians and said the Christians did it. And the people are going to accept that because they already hate the Christians. And it's going to begin the first of 10 major persecutions throughout the Roman Empire in the next 300 years. In fact, the last uh, persecution by the Roman emperors was Diocletian who outlawed the Bible and outlawed Christianity and declared that every Bible is burned and every Christian is killed and he killed so many Christians and burnt so many Bibles that he actually put up a victory monument that said Christianity is dead. Of course within a few years of that he died and the next Roman emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome so there goes that. But you understand, 10 persecutions are going to come and Peter's looking at the horizon. He's watching the storm. He's understanding what's happening. And the book of 1 Peter and then carried on to the book of 2 Peter has this. Learn to live and behave like a Christian now. Because when the storms happen, it's going to be very hard to develop the habit of becoming a Christian. Learn to behave like a Christian now. Learn to trust in God now. Because if you're in the midst of a storm, it's going to be hard to start trusting Jesus. It's much easier to trust Jesus when you have a little bit of freedom and a little bit of wiggle worm. But it's trying to say the storm is right there. It's on the horizon. Now, now live like a Christian. Don't wait. Because if you wait, you will not live like a Christian when it counts, when it matters. You will not be strong enough. You won't be in the habit of it. You won't have the discipline of it. And so the book of 1 Peter is so important. Because what it's doing is telling us that on the horizon is a bunch of unknowns. On the horizon 
is a bunch of persecution and trials. A bunch of things that is not going to be fun to go through. And I'm warning you, you can't do anything about them coming. But you could do everything about how you respond when they get here. And so here is the backdrop of 1 Peter. And with this backdrop, with this message that the persecution's coming, the troubles are coming, we are now come to 1 Peter chapter number 1. As Peter now is talking, this is the backdrop, this is how he starts the letter. Let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you." Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And if you have the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of First Peter, chapter number one? The book of First Peter, chapter number one, and notice with me in verse number eight. Notice the phrase in First Peter one eight: Rejoice with joy unspeakable. Rejoice with joy unspeakable. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach First Peter from the context of the backdrop that I just gave you. Rejoice with joy unspeakable. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who does love us. A God who cares for us. A God who wants the best for us. I'm asking that you would just give us grace and mercy now. That you would give me wisdom beyond myself to be able to communicate the faith, the trust that we can have in you that results in a peace that doesn't make sense. Without a doubt, we understand that we have uncertain days ahead. Without a doubt, we could point to the horizon and we can say, look, it is coming. It is no longer theoretical. It is no longer distant. We can see it on the horizon. And now we understand the importance right now of learning to trust in Jesus, learning to joy in Jesus, to be able to have this peace that passeth all understanding, to understand what it means that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Again, you get across. You put this understanding into our hearts now from your precious word. I know that I am incapable. So once again, the best I know how I surrender myself to you. 
I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. That you could get across through your spirit exactly what these folks need in these days. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for what you are going to do. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we're giving the context. The storm is on the horizon. We see it now. Uncertain days. Unknown days. Manifold temptations. Manifold trials. A great distress is coming. And maybe for some of you is already here. You don't have to wait for the world to go crazy for you to be in your own storm. How is it that we can rejoice, not just survive? How can we rejoice in this? Well, notice if you don't mind as we go through here, the first thing I'd like to show you is we can rejoice because of the living hope we have in Christ. We can rejoice because of the living hope. We have in Christ. Notice with me in verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here, the word that's used, that's translated blessed here, is always used with God. And it carries the idea to speak well of someone. So here it said, blessed be God. When it's saying here, it, this word that's being used here is saying, let me tell you how great God is. He's a wonderful God. You can trust Him. You can depend upon Him. Let me brag about Him. Why can we brag about Him? Why can we brag on Jesus? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Meaning it's talking about salvation. But how has He gotten us salvation? How has He given us His brand new life? How has He allowed us to be born again? Unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know the wonderful thing about our Jesus is that he is a living Savior. Amen. He's a living Savior. And because he's a living Savior, we have a lively hope. Meaning we have a hope that is alive. Now let me define my terms. Today we use the word hope as a wistful, wishful thing. I hope it doesn't snow. I hope it's warmer tomorrow. And the way that we use that word is that it's almost as if we're wishing or we're hoping. But that's not how the Bible uses the word hope. The word hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of something or someone sure to come. So the word hope, it's a confident expectation, not a wistful, wishful thing. It is a confident expectation of someone or something sure to come. By the way, hope is always a future thing. Hope causes us to look to the future. Our hope is in the future. That Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. And how do we have a hope? Why can we even say we have a hope? Because I have a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that he is living no matter what men may say. I hear his voice of mercy. I know his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives! He lives! Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives! He lives! Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Jesus Christ was 
tortured and brutalized and put to death on the cross of Calvary. He was buried on a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he rose again to live forevermore. And my hope is not in a dead Savior. My hope is not placed on someone who is gone. My hope is in someone who is alive. And because they are alive, they can do what they said they could do. I have a living hope. My hope is based off of something, someone that is alive. That's how come I can hope. That's how I can look to the future. That's how come I can look to the promises of God. Because he lives. The hope that I have is not a dead hope. It is a lively hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice as we go to verse 4. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away. What is it that we're looking forward to? Remember the word hope carries the idea of something in the future. We know that salvation does not just entail me being forgiven of sins. Period. My finishing of my salvation, which we'll cover later, is that Jesus Christ is taking me out of this world and I get to live with him forever. And when I live with him forever, he's got things prepared for me. What does he have prepared for me? Notice again verse 4. To an inheritance. I've got an inheritance. What is this inheritance like? It is incorruptible. Meaning it cannot be corrupted. It cannot be unpurified. What else about this inheritance? This inheritance is undefiled. Undefiled. Oh, I'm so thankful that no one can mess up this inheritance. No one can goof it up. It is undefiled. It is unmarred. Notice this. What about this inheritance? It's an inheritance that fadeth not away. It doesn't erase over time. It is there, steadfast and uh, secure. If It's not a type of thing that if I don't die right now, I'm not going to get it. But it's up there for whenever I do die. And God takes me up. He has it and it's never going away. It's never going to be erased. That's the inheritance that he has prepared for me. That gives me hope. I've got something better than this world. Remember the persecution's right around the corner. And that doesn't give you much hope because you know you're fixing to go through some awful things. You're fixing to go through some horrible trials. It may not be the world around you. It could be in your own personal life that you see the storm. It could be that you're in the midst of the storm. But no matter what the storm is, it cannot take away God's promises to you. It cannot take away your place in heaven. It cannot take away the things that God has promised to you up in heaven. Those things are secure, uncorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. And by the way, they're reserved for you in heaven. That word reserved carries the idea that they are set aside for you. No one else can take it. No one else can snatch it away. It is set Aside specifically for you. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in the promises that Jesus has for me later on. That is what I'm trusting in. And I could trust into it because of a living Savior. Notice in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith 
unto salvation. Let me give you a reminder. This hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we have accepted him for our salvation of our souls. What does that mean? That means I recognize that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin that I've, I've hurt and violated and offended a holy righteous God. And I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. And I personally accepted him as my savior. And because of that, I'm not going to heaven because of how good I am. I am kept by his power. Oh, I'm so thankful it's by his power because if it was left to me, I would mess it up. I would lose it. I would misplace it. I would uh, drop it. I would break it. I would violate it. I would mess it up so horribly bad. Not just today. But God is the one who keeps it for me. God keeps me by his power through faith unto salvation. Oh, what a wonderful thing that it is up to him that he keeps me. Notice at the end of verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed. Notice this. In the last time. This last time is referring to end time events. They didn't know when the end time events were going to be. But they did understand that their persecution was right around the corner. Now to them, they didn't know that history was going to go on for another 2,000 years. As far as they knew, this was it. This could be it. This is the end times. This is the last of the last times. What I need to do is I need to be trusting God. By the way, with the stuff going around the horizon, many people are saying, this is it. This is it. This is the last of the last times. We don't know that history could go on for another 2,000 years. Amen. All we do know is that there's something around the horizon. We know it's coming. We know it's there. It could be that your own personal storm is already upon you. And you know that I'm just trying to go to the last time. But God is going to keep his word no matter what the event Amen. is. He's going to keep their power through Keep them by his power through the dark times. We can rejoice because we have a living Savior. That is where our hope lies. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can still say God is good and God is right in the middle of a storm. <laughs> because our hope is in him and our hope is out of this world, not here. My hope is not in the America we live in today. My hope is not the America we're going to have next month. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in him. My hope is not in my ability, not my smile, my, my church. It's in Jesus Christ. It's not in my friends. It's not in my family. It's in Jesus Christ. That's who we're trusting. That's who we're depending. That's the living hope that we have because he lives and he has promises for us after this. When Jesus says you're going to the other side, guess what? You're going to the other side. You can take his word at it. I have a living hope and he's giving me promises and I'm looking forward to him delivering those promises to me. I can rejoice now because of a living savior. Something else we understand is that we could rejoice in trials because Christ knows what he's doing. I can rejoice in the middle of a trial because I trust him. Because I know he knows what he's doing. 
He knows what he's doing. Notice with me in verse number 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Notice this. So because of the promises, because of the living hope, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That phrase in heaviness carries the idea of an emotional term. Have you ever been in an emotional distress where you felt heaviness? You felt that weight. And the reason of the weight here is because of manifold temptations. This manifold means multiple temptations. Just, have you ever had one of those things where it just piled up and another one and another one and I can't handle anymore. And so they put some more onto it and you you're feel the weight and your emotions are heavy and you're distressed. How do I go through this? But notice this. Again, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. So notice this. If need be is a parenthetical phrase. You could set that aside. If now for a season ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It says you can rejoice even though the season you are currently in is heaviness and manifold temptations and manifold trials. Even in the midst of your biggest weight, you can still rejoice because Jesus lives. But notice as it goes on. Verse number seven. That the trial of your faith. So you're in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of manifold temptations. You have a heaviness, but you could still rejoice. Why? That the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perish though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It means that God knows what you're going through. And not only does he know what you're going through, he ordered it. God's the one who allowed them to come to your path. Now we know that we have choices that we make for ourselves, but there are also choices that God makes for you. For example, if you were going to have physical uh, pain, none of you, if it came by, hey, who wants to volunteer for physical pain? Oh, that's me. I'll, I'll pick that. You didn't have the choice of the matter. But God brought it for you without asking you. But he didn't do it because he's being mean. He is watching you through your trial because the trial of your faith is much more precious to him than gold. The trial of your faith is precious because you're trusting in Him. You're depending upon Him. You're looking at Him. That's what He wants most is for you to look at Him, to trust in Him. And if you go through a trial and you go through it looking at Him and He gets all the praise and the glory, when people go by and say, man, I could see the things that are going in your life and man, that's rough. And you could say, God's still good and God's still right. And they all look at you crazy. God says, that's precious to me. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Oh, yes. That is precious to God. And he's allowing you through the temptations and the trials to be able to prove to others that your God is still real. You know, it's one thing to say God is great and God is good when everything is Going great in your life. Bills are getting paid. Health is feeling good. Blue skies. Rainbows. Everything else. 
But when others are watching you and they see the storm you're in, they're watching the things that you're going through. They can see the things you have to put up with and you can still look at people honestly rejoicing, saying God is still good and God is still right. Those people say there's something to their God. That is something worth trusting. You know, the true test whether something is real or not, is to put it to a test, to put it in a trial, to see what people are believing, to see what they're depending upon. And you put enough pressure, you'll see what people depend upon. That's what trials do. It sees if you're trying to do it yourself, if you're just trying to fake it, it will be exposed during this time. Someone give an illustration of a sponge. If you took a wet sponge and you squeeze it, what comes out is what was in it, right? So if you squeeze a, a, a sponge and nasty, filthy, dirty water comes out, guess what? That was what was in it. We all know illustrations break down, but if you were squeezed, does what come out of you junk? Or is what come out of you praising to the Lord? You understand that's where the trial comes. That's where it's proven. What are you depending on? What are you trusting on? Anyone can fake it during good days. And bad days, it's going to prove what you're truly trusting in. It's going to see if your eyes are on the Lord or not. And so the trials here that God puts you through are precious to him because it is evidence to others you're really trusting in him. You're still able to say God is good and God is right when things aren't going your way. When things are horrible and you're able to say God is good and God is right. God gets glory from that and that is precious. And it is so precious. Notice this trial of your faith at the end of verse 7. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory. By the way, when is this going to be appeared or manifest? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. We know that when Jesus Christ comes, the first event for us Christians who have accepted him when he comes and raptures us up is going to be the, the judgment seat of Christ. And it's at the judgment seat of Christ all things are going to be revealed. All things are going to be made manifest, whether it was wood, hay, or stubble, or precious gold, or gems. We're going to get rewards of the lack of rewards at that time. And it's at that time where we're going to be evidenced when we were trusting God that it's going to show up as praise and honor and glory to God. God says, I put you that, that, through that trial and look at how you came out of it. You glorified God through it. And let me tell you, there's a reward in it now because of it. Amen. You get something for this to take to the millennial kingdom. Because you went through that trial looking at me. You praised me. You glorified me. When you didn't think anybody else was noticing you. But you were still saying God's still good. God's still right. You weren't trying to brag and try to put a horn out. You were just getting through the trial. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus. Jesus is still good and Jesus is still right. You might not even know that others are noticing you. It may be that no one did notice you. But God did. And he was able to see what you were truly trusting in. And there's rewards for you. Because of that trial. Because you were able to look at him. We can rejoice in the trials. Because Christ knows what he's doing. Anything that happens in your life. 
God allowed. We know that the Bible talks about in Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good. Now it doesn't say that everything is good. But everything works together for good. God always knows what he's doing. God allows you to have back problem. Guess what? God brought that to you for a reason. You know what the reason is? Neither do I. But God's still good. And God is still right. Can you trust him? You have that family member that's just bothering you and whatever else. And you survive that. God is still good and God's still right. He gave them to me. <laughs> Those things that happen. You get a flat tire. God's still good and God is still right. Can you trust him? That comes the element, the very basis. I can rejoice in God no matter what happens because I trust him. Because I trust him. That's the element of it. Do you trust him? Which brings me to one last thing. We could rejoice because we have a living hope. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can rejoice in the trials because Christ knows what he's doing. But we could also rejoice because our faith in Jesus Christ is real. We can rejoice because the faith in Jesus Christ is real. Notice with me in verse number 8. Whom having not seen. Now who's this whom? This is Jesus. It's talking about the appearing of Jesus Christ in verse 7. Whom having not seen ye love. Now think about this. If I was to have you raise your hand. How many of you have seen Jesus with your own eyes? You've got to touch him. You've got to eat dinner with him. Not a single one of you should be able to hold your hands up. None of you have seen Jesus. But even though we've not seen Jesus, we love him. We love someone we have never seen. Why? Because he is real. Because he is real. Notice this. And having not seen, you love. And whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing. Now, the apostles got to see Jesus. Peter got to see Jesus. But we haven't. And we are believing and trusting and faithing in someone we have never seen. Now, this is a tall ass to an unbelieving world. This is why they say we're crazy. We're believing in someone we've never seen. Someone we've never laid eyes on. And someone that we've never interacted with physically. But why can we believe? Why can we trust in him? Why can we faith in him? Why can we love him? Because he is real. He is real. This is not a figment of our imagination. It's not a mass hallucination. He is real. And whom having not seen ye love. And whom though now ye see him not. Yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He is so real that we can rejoice in him. We can believe in him and rejoice in him with joy unspeakable. This carries the idea that we use later on in a different phrase. A peace that passeth all understanding. A joy, a peace that doesn't make sense. Again, to a lost world, they think we're nuts trusting in someone that we've never seen before. But we can because he is real. And we could have peace of God. We could have the peace from God. Because he is real. He is 
real. We can trust in him. We can depend upon him. And he can give us a peace that passes all understanding because he is real. And by the way, we could joy not only unspeakable, but the joy could be full of glory. God is still good. God is still right. God is still wonderful. God is still good. You could praise God for anything and everything because he is good and because he is right. There was a, a famous evangelist. I think it was Christmas Evans, if I remember who it was. And um, he was a famous evangelist, but he was always going around, glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He would go around, glory to God, no matter what, glory to God. And people said, man, we got to catch him. We got to find him sometime where he's not glory to God. And so these bunch of hoodlums hid in uh, little barrels where they could see the, uh, the um, uh, just have the little peephole, the... the thing was out in these old wooden barrels, old wooden barrels. They're hiding in there. And they said, he's coming this way. We found out where he's going. And we're going to scare him off. And we're going to see if he says glory when he's scared. And so sure enough, he comes down this dark pier and they start going, uh, chanting at him, trying to scare him. And he says, God's still good. God's still right. Glory to God. They're like, man, we're trying to scare him. And he's still saying glory to God. It's almost like the lady who um, tried to glorify God no matter what and said that God's going to make my provisions and God will take care of me. And so some hoodlums said, you know what? We're going to prove to her that God doesn't take care of her. And so what they did is they, um, they started to bring groceries to her every morning. And they were planting the trap that they, uh, they knew that she needed some bread and food. So they would drop it off every morning. And after doing it for a week, she uh, was praising God as she was getting the bread. And they popped out and said, Nah, uh we've been giving you all the groceries. We've been taking care of it. God hasn't been doing it. And she goes, praise the Lord that God could use dev the devil's minions to still provide for me. God is still good. We could have full of glory no matter what is going on. We could still praise him with a joy that's unspeakable. We could rejoice no matter what the trial is because Christ is real. Notice in verse number 19, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Verse number 9 is a little tagline that transitions to the next section of 1 Peter chapter 1. But let me tell you, what is the end of your faith? What is it where your salvation is complete? It's when you're standing before Him in glory with a brand new redeemed body living forever. That's going to be the completion of salvation. Now, he, the moment that I accepted Him as Savior, I was forgiven of all of my sins. But he doesn't put a period there and just leave me. The rest of my salvation is up ahead. I get to receive the brand new body. I get to live with him forever in glory. That's the end of my salvation. That's the end of my faith. But when I get to that place, it's no longer faith. It's sight because I'm looking at Jesus. I'm there in my brand new body. But I can look forward to that event because Jesus is real. We can rejoice in God. We can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Now let me remind you again of the context. We talked about these wonderful things. But what is the context? The storm is on the horizon. Bad days are coming. Hard days. Trials. Times where Christians are going to be persecuted. Just because they get baptized. Remember baptism doesn't save you. What baptism is is a public profession that I've trusted Jesus. When people were uh, up to this place uh, and after this persecution starts if people get baptized they can lose their home they can lose their job and they can lose their life that's a big deal to still decide to follow after baptism remember baptism doesn't save you they get saved by Jesus Christ so what does baptism do all it does is say that I'm following after Jesus if I don't get baptized I can still go to heaven but people chose to obey Jesus anyways, knowing it may cost them because God is real. You understand when you know that persecution's around the horizon, it's going to take a lot for you to stay looking at Jesus Christ. It's going to take a real God. But let me tell you, now is the time to start living by faith. Now is the time to get in the habit of praising God and looking at Him. So that way when the storms come, they don't knock you off course. That you can have a peace that passes all understanding. You can rejoice with joy unspeakable. Because I'm trusting in Jesus. We don't have to panic. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be discouraged. And we don't have to be disappointed. We keep our eyes on Him. That's the key. Keep your eyes on him. The rest of the world can fail. Your friends can fail you. Let me tell you, there may be a time where your pastor fails you, and I hope not. But your hope should not be in people, and it should not be in your pastor. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know what's coming in the horizon. We hear threats, we hear rumblings, but we do know that there's unknowns on the horizon. That should not knock us off kilter. Now is the time to start developing the habit to make the decision, to make the choice that I'm going to stay looking up at Jesus no matter what the storm is, no matter how heavy the load is, no matter what the thing is. And by the way, I'm not telling you that it's going to be easy. I'm telling you the opposite. It's going to be hard. But you can because God is real. You can trust him. You can depend upon him. Now is the time where we're going to be tested. Again, if what's around the horizon is what we think we are, we're going to be tested to see if your faith is real. You know what's going to happen when this storm that we think is coming comes to the horizon? All of a sudden, all the people that claim to be Christians are no longer going to claim to be Christians. There's only going to be a remnant left. What do you do with that? We're going to be the remnant that looks up to God and say, God is still good and God is still right. But you don't understand they're closing down churches. God is still good and God is still right. Don't you understand Christians are going to be barred from this? God is still good and God is still right. Don't you understand they're going to outlaw the Bible? God is still good and God is still right. Don't you understand they're going to take away all electronic privileges? God is still good and God is still right. Don't you understand you could go to jail for preaching this way? God is still good and God is still right. Might as well start practicing because when it comes, if you're not in the habit of it, it's going to be hard to develop the habit of claiming you're a Christian, behaving like a Christian when everyone hates Christians. Now is the time to develop it. Now is the time to start praising God. Now is the time to trust Him. Now is the time to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. How are we going to get through those days? It's not by tuckering in and just hoping the storm passes. It's not going to be locking our doors and just trying to board ourselves up and just survive and endure to the end. We're going to survive by the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Our strength comes from rejoicing in God and trusting in God. Rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So let me ask you. Someone said this. You either are in a storm, going into a storm, or just left a storm. How are you doing? Are you able to rejoice in the midst of those hard times? Are you in the habit of saying God is still good and God is still right when your world is falling apart around you? If not, now's the time to develop the habit. Now's the time to make the determination to put some things in your life to remind you to keep praising God when those times get hard. Now is the time to start putting things into place to purposely look up to Jesus and to trust in Him. Now's the time to start practice rejoicing when you don't feel like it. Because God is still good and God is still right. How are you doing? Are you able to sing? Are you able to trust in Him? Do you depend upon Him? Maybe something more simple needs to be addressed. Do you know for sure for yourself that you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Again, there's a lot of people who profess to be a Christian who are not Christians. And that's going to be proven very soon. Where do you get your strength from? What is your source? Do you know without a doubt from the Bible? Meaning, can you show me from the Bible how you know you're going to heaven? Not because I think so, because I hope so, because I want to. Can you show me from the Bible that you're going to heaven? You say, well, how do I know that I'm trusting God? Quite simply, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let me tell you, if you're not in your Bible every day, you are not trusting the Lord. If you're not faithful to the house of God, you are not trusting the Lord. If you are not praying, you are not trusting the Lord. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you here now. I'm trying to reveal and trying to show you what are you trusting in. You said, I don't believe you. Well, I'd be glad to show you from the Bible. That's good as that we have God's word. We could trust in that. But more simply than that, do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Do you know from the Bible that your sins are forgiven? If not, let me tell you the greatest thing that can happen tonight is for me to open the Bible and to show you from God's word how you could have that peace that passes all understanding. To be able to have that forgiveness of all of your sins full, free, and forever. For those of you who know without a doubt that Jesus is your Savior, how is your rejoicing? You know how it is. I'm not asking you what face do you put on, Pastor. I understand that there are plenty of times where you're driving up and you're as miserable as miserable could be. But because you can't look miserable because I'm supposed to look like a Christian, as soon as you open up those doors, your walk turns different and you smile and nod. And inside, you know you're just as miserable as miserable can be. I'm asking you, how's your song? What are you trusting in? What are you looking at? If you look at the circumstances, you're going to be hurting. You've got to look past the circumstances and see the God of the circumstances. How's your song? How's your rejoicing when you're all by yourself?
When you're laying down at night, what are you doing? Are you able to trust in God? Or is the weight of all of the trials that you're going through just too much? What are you trusting in? Let me tell you, there's a God that is real, who's alive, who you can trust. And you could develop the habit. Again, I know it's not easy. It's not like flipping a switch. You have to develop the habit of obeying him. The habit of trusting him. The habit of putting your eyes off the circumstances and onto the God of the circumstances. You have to develop the habit. It's not a switch. It's something you purposely decide to do and develop the habit of. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.